Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Laugh Again. In this series, which is based on the book of Philippians, we're looking at ways to bring happiness or joy into our lives. This week, lead pastor David Fossil has us looking for ways to be a better me. He points out that one way is to be morphed. Listen as Pastor Dave points us to Paul's words of four random things that we can change that will make us a better me and bring more happiness and joy into our lives. Uh, grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, page 1179. We are resuming our series in the book of Philippians called Laugh Again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're going to be. As you guys are turning there, do you guys remember uh, the show Power Rangers? You guys remember Power Rangers? It used to be super popular, um, and it was actually a TV anomaly because it was produced in Japan on a very, very shoestring budget. It was dubbed poorly into English. And overnight, it just was a, an American sensation as, you know, and before you knew it, everybody wanted to dress like the Power Rangers on Halloween. And, you know, it's just crazy. And, and if you don't know what Power Rangers is, it's basically these adolescent kids. And, uh, you know, at some point in time during the show, it would be morphin time. And they would, they would transform miraculously into these, you know, you know, martial arts superheroes that would fight for justice, right? That's basically the show. Now, did you know that the word morphin or morph is actually a biblical word? It's a Greek word that's right in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, we with unveiled faces who reflect the glory of God are being changed or we're being transformed. That word there is the word to morph or morphin. You and I are morphing, he says, into the image of Jesus Christ. The reason we are here is to be changed, to be transformed, to morph from who we were and become more godly, more Christ-like. If you look at your study guide, the title of this morning's study is Becoming a Better Me. How many of you can think of at least one thing you'd like to change about yourself? How many of you can think of at least one thing you'd like your spouse or your kids to change? Okay, so for whatever reason, pay attention, because what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us two or three reasons or two or three ways on how to change. You know, it's one thing to want to change, but how do we change is the issue. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. You could follow along in your Bibles, or you could also read it on the screen. He starts out and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of those verses in the book of Philippians that is talked about about a lot, that is memorized, and we all get caught up and consumed in the last part of the verse, but we forget to take some time to analyze that the very first word, therefore. Now, especially for us, we've been out of the book of Philippians for a month and a half, and we're right in the middle of chapter 2. And so it's kind of disjointed. You have to understand if you want to change, if you want to be transformed and more, if you want to become a better me, you have to understand where is Paul at right here? What is the therefore, therefore? So you go right to the beginning of chapter 2, and right away you see the answer. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 1, we read the following. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
united with Christ. The first thing you have to understand if you want to genuinely be changed and transformed is this, if you want to write it down. It always begins with Jesus. It always begins with Jesus. You are united with Christ. It always begins with Jesus. Now, let me show you uh, about six years ago, um, Sandy and I, we went on a cruise with, with uh, my folks and our family, and it was just a crazy fun cruise. We were already in Spain visiting my, my parents, and uh, we took this cruise from Rome, and we went to Greece, and we went to Crete, and we stopped off in Turkey in the city of Ephesus, right where the book of Ephesians was sent to. And um, Ephesus, it's modern day, a tourist center. A lot of tourism there. And anytime you have tourism, they have tourism shops. They're trying to sell you knickknacks and things like that. What, what caught my attention and what just made me smile is that every single tourist shop had a particular sign on it. And it said this. <laughs> every single shop advertised we have genuine fake watches. And I was like, I got to find out what's going on here. So I went into one of them and uh, sure enough, they had, you know, there's fake watches and then, then there's these kind of fake watches. I mean, they were super high end imitations of Rolex and very high end, very expensive watches, right? And uh, I kind of like watching, so I was looking at them and they were really neat, really nice, you know? They weren't chintzy, they were kind of heavy and, you know, they, they seemed like the real thing. And so I was looking at one and I put one on and, and the guy comes, he goes, you like that one? I go, yes, sir, that's good. It's nice. And he goes, uh, and said, he goes, how much does it cost? And he's, this is how he starts. He says, well, normally it's $975, but today for you, because I like you today, it's $175. Now my, my wife, Sandy, she's, as you know, very, very different than I am. And her response was not the appropriate response. She said, that is so nice of you and generous. To give us a, wow, you know, and I gave her the, no, babe, let me handle this. And if you know how this works, when, when someone says it's 975, I'm going to give it to you for 175. What do you do? There's a couple steps. First thing you do is you laugh uncontrollably. Second of all, you roll your eyes. Third, you put the watch back on the, on the counter and you immediately turn around and walk out, leave. Now, if you do that very, very quickly and you follow those steps, you're guaranteed that the owner of the shop will go what? Wait, 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 wait. Come on, let's talk, let's talk, right? And then begins the dance. And you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Make sure Sandy doesn't talk. Back and forth, back and talk. And before you know it, you walk out of the souvenir shop with two watches for $45. That's how it works, right? Now, I didn't end up buying a watch uh, we ended up getting some other knickknacks and things, but as I was leaving, this guy was just kind of a cool guy. And I said, just, could you, could I ask you a question? Be honest with me. Can people tell that they're fake watches? He goes, well, your friends will never be able to tell that it's a fake watch. And that's really the most important, you know, you know, you know, your friends will never be able to tell. He said, um, the, the guy who works at the watch department at Sears, he won't be able to tell. If you decide to sell it on eBay, they won't be able to tell. And I start thinking, oh, we got a building program coming up. That might be a, a good fundraising opportunity. He said, there's only one person that will be able to tell that it's a fake. And that's an expert watchmaker. They will be able to tell. You know what this book says? This book says that unfortunately, and it's one of the things as a pastor that 
that bothers me deeply. It says that there are actually genuine fake Christians. They look like Christians. They walk like Christians. They talk like Christians. I was going to say they smell like Christians, but I don't know how Christians are supposed to smell. But from everything we see, they show up at church. They're nice people. They drop a few bucks in the offering. They sing a couple songs. They fill in their blanks. They're genuinely nice people. But the expert faith maker, Jesus, says, nope, they're fake. We can't tell. But Jesus can tell. What is even more concerning is that sometimes we fake ourselves out. And that's what's scary about it. Now, I am not here to make you doubt. I'm going to make sure you know one way or the other. What am I and where do I fall on this? But why this is so critically important is because I know why you're here. You want to be a better me. That's the whole point of our study. I want that. And I'm telling you, you can't have it unless it, unless it genuinely happens, starting with Jesus Christ. You know, well, how do I know for sure if I've done that? The Bible calls that being saved or being born again. How do I know for sure? Let me make it simple as possible. There's three things. Let me show you. Let's put them up there. Number one, you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. You acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, a lot of people start with bullet point number two, thank and trust Jesus for dying uh, for your sins. That doesn't matter unless bullet point number one is true. Because if he's just a good guy, if he's just a great moral teacher, it doesn't matter if he died for you. No, he has to be God. That's why the New Testament makes such a big deal. If you're writing that down, is right after that put resurrection. Everything is based upon the resurrection. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, stay home. You're wasting your time. Everything is based on the resurrection. That's why for Christians, the Super Bowl is Easter. That's the big deal. It's because he rose from the dead, then proving himself to be God, which allows everything else to happen. If you acknowledge him as God, then you can genuinely thank and trust him for dying for your sins. That word trust, a lot of, t- a lot of Christians just use the word faith. That's all the word faith means. You trust him. I can't take care of my sins. I'm going to trust that Jesus paid for my sins on that cross. And then bullet point number three is you invite Jesus to take control of your life. Now, a lot of us like to accept Jesus as our savior. That last bullet point, some some people will talk about him. He also has to be your Lord or your boss. It's one, you're not just, you know, making sure that on the other side of death, you're going to be okay. No, you're living for him now. And the Bible says that I can tell whether you or not you're genuinely Doing bullet point number one and two is if you're willing to do bullet point number three. You can't say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Now I'm going to go do whatever I want. They have to be all three of them. Now, Paul picks up on this. It starts with Jesus. It's birthed with Jesus. And he says, you've got to get to that last point. So, So he says just before verse 12, the following. Let me show you. Let's put it up on the screen. Therefore, God exalted him speaking of Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, someday every knee will bow and every single tongue will acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, they'll admit and they will confess that he really is the son of God, that he really died on the cross for our sins and that he should be in charge of your life. Everyone at some point in time will do that. Every single world leader and politician will do that. 
Barack Obama will do that. George Bush will do that. Fidel Castro will do that. Winston Churchill will do that. Mandela will do that. Everybody someday will literally bow a knee and say, you know what? Yet Jesus really was those things. Every single musician will do that. Elvis Presley and Madonna, Michael Jackson, Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin. They'll all at some point in town buy and bow a knee. Every single athlete will do that. Michael Jordan will do that. Kobe Bryant will do that. Carl Lewis will do that. Pele will do that. Everybody will at some point down bow a knee. Every scientist will do it. Newton will do it. And Galileo will do it. They'll all do it. Every single person that you go to school with, every person you live with, everyone that's in your neighborhood, everyone you work with will someday at some point bow a knee and acknowledge Jesus was who he said he was. If you're short or you're tall, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're white or if you're black, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in, at some point in time, you will bow a knee. The question is not will you, the only question is when will you? Will you do it now? In response to what Christ has done for you, willingly, or will you do it sometime in the future, described in the book of Revelation, when you're forced to? That's the only question here. And so what Paul desperately tries to encourage us is say, you want change. I know you want that. I know you want transformation. I know you want to become a better you. It always starts with Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, in about 15, 20 minutes, when we wrap up everything, I'm going to put this slide right back up there and I'm going to give you a chance, if you haven't done it already, to pray those three bullet points on your own. Because if you haven't done that, the next 15 minutes is not is not going to work. It always starts with Jesus. Always. The second thing, jot this down, is that spiritual transformation is a process, not just an event. It's a process, not just an event. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Now, the event of spiritual transformation is when you get saved. But the process of transformation is the continuing part. It's what the Bible or, or what theologians call sanctification. It's you changing little by little by little by little. It's you morphing and becoming a better you. It takes time and it's a continual process. Think about a, a husband and wife relationship. It starts with an event called the wedding day. It happens one time. You know, we all eat cake and it's a great time and we bring presents. It's a big day, the wedding day. But everyone who's married knows that a healthy marriage relationship doesn't isn't based upon the wedding day. It's based upon the continual process over and over and over and over of trying to become a cohesive couple, a healthy couple. It's the same thing with Jesus. It starts with an event, not the wedding day, but your salvation day. It happens once. You don't have to keep doing it over and over again. No, once. But a healthy relationship with God is not just based upon your salvation day. Whether it's in Sunday school class or Sunday service or Billy Graham crusade, doesn't matter. It's the one day, but then it's the continual process day after day, day after day of building a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a process. Now, what he does in this verse is he breaks down your role, God's role, and other people's role. Very important to get. Whether you write it down, nail it down in your head, it won't be that hard to forget. First of all is my role. My role is to work out my salvation. Now notice, it's not work for my salvation. Paul says in Ephesians, you can't do that. 
You can't work for your salvation. Can you imagine if you could work for your salvation, how prideful we would be? Well, what did you do to get salvation? You can't work for it. The only way you can do it is faith or trusting in God as the son of God to forgive you for your sins. That was last life. You can't work for it, but you can work it out. If I want to get in shape, if you want to get in shape, we can get a membership to the Y. We can buy a treadmill and put it in the garage. But until you get on the treadmill, you you ain't getting in shape. You can accept Jesus Christ, but you'll see some change. You're not going to see lasting change unless you start working it out. You've got to work it out. Now, that word there literally means to develop or to be finished, to be completed. It started with your day of salvation, but it continues on. Now, he adds, he says, work out your salvation. And then he, with fear and trembling, it's kind of an interesting phrase. You, you need to do this and you need to do it with fear and trembling. Um, I, some of you, maybe you grew up going to church. And I remember when I was a kid, I was a teenager. Uh, it seemed like every youth camp we went on, the youth pastor always had and showed us a, vi- a, a movie, right? And this movie was called A Thief in the Night. Any, anyone saw A Thief in the Night? Yeah, you're scarred from it. So I know you are. It, basically, here's how, what the movie was about. The movie was a story about Jesus coming back, right? Bible says that he's going to come back. And so, so the movie starts out with this couple and this guy gets up out of bed and he goes into, in the bathroom and he starts shaving. And then, and then she comes in and the shaver's like in the sink, just going, ah. she's like, where are you, Paul? Where are you? Oh my goodness. Jesus took him away. And then the radio says millions of Christians have been, you know, taken to, to be with God. And, and the rest of us have been left behind. And, you know, we'd watch this movie and then the youth pastor would stand up and he'd basically, you know, there was this song, you know, I wish we'd been ready. The song just played on and on. I wish we'd been ready. You know, and the youth pastor would stand up and say, hope you guys are ready. Hope you're ready. And invariably, in the middle of the night, you'd wake up in the middle of the night and the cabin was all dark and you'd look around and you weren't sure if you could see anybody. Like, I think I got left behind. Ah! You know, it, the movie would literally scare the hell out of you. You know, people would come to Jesus just because they were afraid. Now, it was a great way to get kids to accept Christ. I'm not sure I would suggest it. Here's my point. When he says fear and trembling, that's not what he means. He's not saying you got to be, you better get with it. You better be scared about this. Now, that Greek phrase literally means take it seriously. Be serious about it. Some of us are more interested and more consumed and more thoughtful about the health of our bodies or the health of our cars or the health of our careers or the health of our grades or the health of our 401k um, program than we are of our souls, the health of our souls. And here's all Jesus is saying. Be serious about it. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? It's kind of a, be serious about it. Now, the fact that you're here this morning is already a thumbs up. But he said, don't think that becoming more godly happens by osmosis. You just sit here, you soak in a couple songs, you jot a couple notes down, and boom, it happens. Now, that's helpful But it's more so about what happens when you leave here and about all the other spiritual exercise disciplines you do when you leave here. And here's all he's saying. Take it seriously. Work it out. Now, it's not just about what you do. You and I work out our salvation. But God's role, it says, is to work in you. So my role is to work out. God's role is to work in. Don't for one moment think that you make spiritual change and transformation happen on your own 
Yes, there is something you can do, but it's the Holy Spirit that works in you. That word, by the way, work in is literally the word for energize. He energizes you. He empowers you. It's critically important. It's like two, two, you know, pedals on a bike. You need, you can't just have one. You got to have both. Now, the best way I've heard this explained about spiritual train, change and transformation and this journey we're on to become a better me is think about it as being on different kinds of boats trying to cross the bay. Now, if I get on a boat and I get on a rowboat and I'm trying to go from one side of the bay to the other side of the bay, what causes the boat to move? Uh, Bueller. Bueller. I do, right? Me doing the work, right? I'm doing the work. And I know a lot of Christians that got on the spiritual rowboat and I go to church and I do my notes and I'm in Bible study. I tithe 15%. I help in the nursery. I help with the youth group. I'm going to share my faith. And they do all these things, all good things, but mistakenly they're doing all by themselves. They're doing this whole spiritual journey based upon their own effort. Little bit of a problem. On the other hand, let's just say you're crying across the bay and you're not on a rowboat. You're on a speedboat. Now, if I'm trying to get from one side of the bay to the other and a speedboat, who does all the work? The engine, the motor does all the work. And there's some Christians just sitting back with their Mai Tai, just letting God do all the work, just letting the mo- motor do all the work. And we just sit. We sit. That's all we do. The spiritual journey you're on is not like being in a rowboat. It's not like being in a motorboat where God does all the work. It's more like being on a sailboat. I'm really not. I've been on a sailboat once. But you know what moves the sailboat? It's the wind. But those guys on a sailboat, they don't just sit there. They're working the whole time. That's what your spiritual journey is. Just That's what it's like. It's like being on a sailboat. God's going to be the one that moves you. But there's some things that you have to do. Right? Now, a lot of people ignore the last one. We've got my role to work out, God's role to work in, and then you have other people or friends' role. Write that down. And that's to work with or work alongside. You go, where do we get that out of the verse? Well, let me show you. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's me. For it is God that works in. That's God. And then you see that last word, works in you. See that word? Just so you know, those of you who are really into English and grammar, you need to know that the word you there is not first person. It's not a first person, not first person singular. He's not saying God works in you and you and you right there and you over there. No, it's not first person singular, singular. It's third person plural. Well, what does that mean? What he's saying is that as you work out your salvation and God works in not you individually, but you all, all of you, what's the point he's trying to make is that the spiritual journey of change and transformation is a, is a personal decision. I make that decision on my own, but how it happens is in the context of a group. It's called church. I bump into people, they go, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, I just don't go to church. In the back of my mind, I know what's going to happen. It's not going to work. Oh, it'll work for a little while, but eventually you'll, you'll go off track. Why? Because spirituality and your growth as a follower of Christ always happens in the context of community. That's why when Joy and I are giving announcements, we kind of try to gently nag you to sign up for a small group. Because we know the value 
that that group is. You go, well, there's every once in a while I go into a small group. Last time I was in there, there was a couple freaks. We're full of freaks. You know, in every group, there's like, like, you know, 10 people There's always one or two freaks. Now, if you're in a group right now and you don't know who that is, it's you. But we love you anyway. It's part of being a part of a family, you know, and accountability partners or Christian friends and serving. It's part of what we do. So understand you got to do something. God's got to do something. But, but you need a couple friends that are going to work with you or work alongside you to encourage you. OK, don't forget. It starts with Jesus. Point number two, it's a process. It's not a destination. It's not an, it's a process. It takes time. It's a journey you're going on to grow and to change and transform. Step number three, he says, it always results in change. If step number one happens and step number two happens, if you genuinely accept Christ as your savior and you get into the process, it always, every single time results in tangible change, tangible change. And one of the things I hear a lot of people, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know, the Bible says I'm allowed to judge you as long as I'm not being a hypocrite. He said, uh, the Bible says, I'm allowed to look at you and evaluate your life based upon what I see. And, and, and Jesus says, you will know who are my disciples based upon what you see or their fruit. He's, uh, he's going after this last point and saying, real change and transformation results in real outward change. How you talk, how you behave, your attitudes, everything. There's change and people can see that now. It's kind of interesting because what Paul does is he kind of gives four random suggested changes. He could give 50. But he's saying, let me give you four things maybe you should think about. Four things. Number one, if you really are changing, you'll stop complaining. Stop complaining. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Would you agree that when people complain, not only does it seem to make them miserable, but everyone else around them miserable as well? I don't know anyone who loves being around complainers. Now, let's be honest. I'm going to give you the four primary types of complainers and be honest with yourself. I don't want you to be elbowing your spouse. Just be honest with yourself. Let's put them up there. The four main types of complainers, the whiner. It's just not fair. You know, you talk to this person for 20 minutes. You want to go out in the backyard and shoot yourself. I mean, it's just unbearable. They're just constantly whining and complaining. They don't rise and shine. They rise and whine, you know, then you've got the cynic. The cynic is like nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever get better. When I grew up as a kid and they go on and on, right? The cynic, right? everything's getting worse, right? The martyr, no one likes me. I have all these problems. When you ask the martyr, so how you doing? They never answer you with a word initially. Here's how it goes. So how you're doing? And then they do this. It's like Darth Vader. They got this sigh that lasts for 15 seconds. There's always something wrong with them. You know? And after a while, you just start avoiding those people. That's the truth. And some of you don't realize that's what people are doing with you. Because every time they come to you, you got an issue. Then you got the perfectionist. Honestly, living with a perfectionist, working with a perfectionist, having a perfectionist friend, it's not that fun because they give off this this tone, whether they say it or not. Is, is that the best you can do? 
They always identify something you could have done better or whatever. It, it's, it's not the easiest thing. It's not the fun thing. Now, just make sure you understand. Paul is not saying you have to bury your head in the sand and never identify problems, never share concerns, never bring up frustration. He's not saying that. Sometimes you will be frustrated. Sometimes there will be issues and problems you want or need to bring up. Here's what he's saying. When you bring it up, your attitude is as important as the problem itself. Your attitude, the way you share the issue and the problem, is as important as the problem itself. Here's here's the bottom line. Do you realize that your attitude about problems, about people, and about life is a reflection of the health of your soul? See, if you're constantly complaining, if you're constantly grumbling, I'm allowed to make a deduction about what's going on between your two two years. And that reflects what's going on in your soul. So here's point number one. Stop complaining so much. You could still bring up issues. That's fine. You could still bring up frustrations. That's okay. But check your attitude. Check your attitude when you do it, okay? Second thing he says is you need to eliminate sin. Eliminate sin. In three different ways, he says the same thing. He says, okay, I I want you to become blameless. I want you to become pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He's saying the same thing over and over and then over again. I want you to eliminate sin. I want you to get rid of some stuff. I want you to be without fault. I want you to be blameless. I want you to be pure. That's hard to be pure, isn't it? Pure? Goodness gracious. We're really into purity when it comes to our food, though, aren't we? I mean, we want to make sure there's no contamination in our food. Interestingly enough, we have an organization, a federal organization called the FDA, that tries to make sure that what you buy in the supermarket is not contaminated. It's quote-unquote pure. I think it may surprise you to, to know of some of the standards that the FBA has for some of the things you and I can buy in the supermarket. Let me just give you a couple examples. Did you know that apple butter won't be sold if it has five or more whole insects per hundred grams? Otherwise, it's completely fine for consumption. Four insects, eat away. Did you know that... Um, mushrooms can't be sold if there's an average of 20 or more maggots per 15 grams of dried mushroom 19 and lower get a pepperoni and mushroom pizza eat it if there are more than 13 insect heads in 100 grams of fig paste the fda ruthlessly tosses out the whole batch anything underneath that they put it on the counters I'm not going to even tell you what's in hot dogs because that'll jack you up. (laughs) Purity is a hard thing to come by, not only in our food, but in our souls. Now, here's the problem. The problem is you and I do with our souls what the FDA does with the food. The FDA is like, well, we can't get all the maggots out. We can't get all the insects out. You know, some maggots are acceptable. And we do the same thing with our soul. I mean, I heard what he said. I heard what Dave said. I mean, we're supposed to be blameless and all that. But you know, there's no way to do that, you know. Some sin, some crap's okay. So we just kind of throw up our arms and go, no big deal. Everybody's got it. And we make excuses. 
You know what they say. Excuses are like armpits. All of us have a couple and they both stink. Some of us are just making up excuses. And I'm just going to ask you, are you going to be the excuse person or are you going to do something about it? What sin do you think you need to work on? Okay, whatever popped in your head, you know who that was? It's called the Holy Spirit. Whatever, whatever first flashed in your head, I don't have to give you a list of 50. You already know the Holy Spirit says, that's the one I want you to work on. So just be serious about it. Work at it. I know it's hard. Work at it. Do what you can to eliminate it. Become more blameless and without fault and pure. It's a big deal to your spiritual walk and to your journey. A couple other things he says is you will be positively different. I don't know how else to say that, but you'll see what I mean. Uh, positively different. Uh, Philippians 2.15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then he says this, you will shine so that you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I want you to shine. I want you to be bright. Now, the problem is some of us aren't shining. One of the reasons we aren't shining is we're hanging out with a bunch of other stars. The people next to you. And he says, no, no, no. It's okay to hang out with the people next to you. They have a role in helping you grow as a Christian. But at some point in time, I want you to leave the people next to you. And I want you to go into a warped and crooked generation where there's quote unquote spiritual darkness. And your light will then shine. They will look at you and they'll go. I can't put my thumb on it, but there's something different about this dude. I don't know. Who are you hanging out with? You spending time with people that don't know Christ? You, you remember as a kid singing in Sunday school, you know, the, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, don't let Satan blow it up. Oh, cover it up. <laughs> we got we got sold a, a bill of goods. We don't have just a little light, little candle. Oh, my goodness, a gust of wind. No, you're supposed to shine like a city on a hill, he says. Shine. Go into your schools and go into your homes and go into your workplaces. And, 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 and by the way, talking about lights, don't be like that dude on the highway that's got his high beams on the whole time. You know that guy, he's coming at you, you know, you're flashing your lights, flashing lights. Oh my goodness gracious. There's a lot of Christians like that. They take this, for, yeah, I'm going to shine. I'm gonna, and they're like the high beams on the guy. And you are actually pushing people away from Jesus, not drawing them to Jesus. In my family, you want to know the most important light in my home? Most important light, other than the little light in my fridge, because that's pretty important. <laughs> the most important light is our nightlight. Our nightlight. My kids, over the years, you know, when they were really young, where's my nightlight? Where's my nightlight? They don't want to go to sleep until I know where my light is. Because in the middle of the light, they know that in the midst of darkness, they're going to be able to go find mom or dad. They're going to be able to go to the, to the bathroom if they need to because that little small light bulb. You don't have to be this massive beam. But if you're in the midst of darkness in a world that doesn't know Christ, you will shine. And the question is, are you? Or are you just kind of like the rest of the people at school? They don't have a clue that you're different at all because you say the same words that they say and you act the same way and you tease that that kid that everyone else's teases, you know, at work. There's no difference whatsoever. Or are you a light? He says, be different. Be positively different in who you are. And the last thing he says is, I want you to be joyful and glad and smiling. I, I don't have these verses, but you can 
Look it up in your Bibles. Look at verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life. That's this. Don't don't forget. Yes, it's based on Jesus, but you're going to find out about Jesus here. Hold on to this. Hold on to this. As you hold firmly to the word of life and you will be able to boast. I, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And then he says this. Verse 17. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming for your faith. My time is kind of up, so I'm not going to explain all this to you. Let me make it real simple. Here's what he's saying at the beginning of verse 17. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. See, Paul's in prison right now in Rome. He's waiting to meet with Caesar. And history books tell us that, you know, he's either going to be acquitted and released or he's going to face the death penalty. And from everything we can tell from history books... They killed him. And Paul says, I'm I'm about ready to die. They're about ready to kill me. Now, I, I realize we all have issues and problems here today. My guess is that very few of us fall into that category. But he nevertheless says this. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you so, verse 18, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I don't know who convinced us that if you're godly, you need to be serious. It's just not true. No, I, I, I'm not saying you got to be a goofball. You got to change your personality, but there should be joy in your life. There should be gladness in your life. You, you should smile because of if only what Christ has done for you and continues to do for you. I'm going to have the band come up at this time. I know they're sitting everywhere. I'm just going to have them come on up. And uh, we're going to wrap up um, by praying. And we're going to pray with our eyes open. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to just look at the screen. And uh, God wants you to work on that. I want you to pick one. Pick one of these. And whichever one you pick, I want you to tell God, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to work on. Whichever one you feel God is speaking to. So take 10, 15 seconds and do that right now. And then let's put that slide up that we looked at a little bit earlier. I told you I was going to give you the opportunity to do this. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior. Um, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to do that today. You're here because you want to change and you're here because you want to be more godly. But if you're here and you've identified, I've never done this. I, I can't think of a time I've done this. Do it today. Do it today. If you're convinced that Jesus was God, then say that to him. Confess your sin and thank him and trust him for dying on the cross for you. And then tell him, you know, from this day on, I'm, I'm going to do the best. I want you to be my boss. Now, if you've already done this, don't do it again. Some of us have this idea that, well, I've messed up and, you know, I, I, you know I've kind of backslidden and I got to do it again. No, that's like my son coming to me next week. You know, he's graduating his first year from college going, Dad, I got all I got with DNFs. You know, and I got a question for you. I, will you be my dad? And I'd be like, what, what are you talking about? Well, you know, I messed up. Can you be my dad? It wouldn't make sense. And that's how I think God feels when you keep coming back to him. You don't have to do it over and over again. Do it once and mean it. 
But if you have not done it, why not do it today? Why not do it today? With your eyes open, I want you to pray those bullet points genuinely to the Lord if you've never done it. Take a moment and do that now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm here with my friends this morning because we want to know about you and ultimately we, we want to change. We, we know we got issues. We know we got problems. We want to be different, Father. We want to be like that light shining in the star. And we realize that sometimes we're not like that. <coughs> Father, you've reminded us today that you're going to work in us, but we, we got to work out. You've reminded us that having other friends that are Christians and being in Bible studies or serving alongside others, it matters. Father, you've identified three or four things that probably we should be working on. The reality is some of us are constantly complaining. Some of us have sin that we know is there and is unconfessed. Some of us aren't being the kind of witness at school and at work and shining your light the way we should. Some of us don't smile enough. Father, I know that you've spoken to each and every one of us, but I, as we wrap up our study time, I'm especially thankful, Father, for those who have given your life to you. I know in a crowd this size, there's always a few that have never done that. Father, I pray that you would assure within their mind and in their souls that angels rejoice right now at their decision. And they did the event. He did the salvation day and now begins this life journey, this process day by day of living with you and growing in you. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that for those who are brand new in Christ and those of us who have been in church for years, you always surprise us. You always teach us and encourage us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.